Hey everyone, welcome to Comedy History 101. This is Harmon, and welcome back. This is part two on our episode of Richard Pryor, The Black Panthers in Berkeley. Basically, it's the Richard Pryor origin story. So in the previous episode, we covered Richard Pryor's kind of rise to fame, you know, appearing on the Ed Sullivan show, then... One day in 1967, he had a complete meltdown on stage in Las Vegas and decided to go underground in Berkeley, California, where he found his voice. Whoa. But before we jump into the episode, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we're trying to make Comedy History 101 completely ad-free. So take time to sponsor Comedy History 101 on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash ch101. Throw in a few dollars and we won't have ads for Casper mattresses. Also, quick plug, on December 24th, next Tuesday... I'll be having my show, Tale, NYC's Finest Storytelling. Yes, it's our 8th anniversary show. We started in the Lower East Side. We went to our home club, The Red Room. And now during COVID years, we'll be streaming it on Twitch at twitch.tv slash comedy history 101. And now, without further ado... Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. Comedy History 101. You know Rockefeller and them, you know them dogs get on TV, dog slimy mother get on TV and talk that old you know what I mean? Well, actually, they got killed by the crossfire. Crossfire ain't killed, bullets killed them mother So what you heard there was a clip of Richard Pryor in 1971 performing in Berkeley, California. And yes, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon, and with me as always is Scott Colonico. And we're jumping right back into part two of our history of Richard Pryor, the Black Panthers in Berkeley, California. Yes, the Richard Pryor origin story. And an interesting note, in 1971, much like in sort of modern era, Richard Pryor quit mainstream comedy and went underground to develop his act, very similar to what we're seeing in the last, you know, 10 years when Dave Chappelle quit the Dave Chappelle show went completely underground and also uh, turned up in San Francisco where we we would see Dave Chappelle perform, you know, for like four hours at a time at up until like four in the morning at the Punchline Comedy Club in San Francisco. But for Richard Pryor, in one of the first shows he did when he moved uh, to Berkeley was a small club called Mandrake's at 1048 University Avenue, uh, which I know I know exactly where that is. I mean, Berkeley is not a big, you know, 
place. You've been, you've been to is the it, Berkeley, right? Is it off Telegraph? I know Telegraph. Telegraph is what runs into Berkeley, and I don't think it inter, intersects University Avenue because you have to go sort of around a park. But if you take Telegraph all the way down from the freeway, you'll eventually get to University Avenue. That's like the main college drag okay. or strip. I'll take your word. It's like when it. you go on the yeah. weekends and it's just all kind of street vendors selling you yeah. crystals and shit like that. Cool. Hipsters. And other things. We don't want to get angry letters from people that sell crystals. Right. No. At, at ComedyHistory101.com or, you know, anywhere else Comedy. you, you subscribe for your podcast. Yeah. But this man, Drake, seems like an interesting club. It was, it was actually kind of a small venue. And it was a place where I think the house band was Country Joe and the Fish. Country Joe and the Fish. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what was their song? Wasn't were they? They're the I ones. I think they're they at were, Woodstock, right? Yeah, they were like the what, what are we? Oh, they the for? one, two, three. What yeah, we, that's them. That oh, was Country okay. Joe and the Fish. Yeah. Yeah. So they were they were like the house band at Mandrakes, and then also like people that would perform there would be like Felonious Monk and and BB King, and probably you know just other of the big biggish. Bay Area favorites. Um, so again, it wasn't a small club, but when uh, Richard Pryor was going to perform, there were there were lines down the block because you know again he was already famous from like the Ed Sullivan show, so you know he was he was known in the lexicon. Yeah, that was the Country Joe and the Fish, the Fixin' to Die Rag. That's the one. Yeah. So what I heard was the first night he was perform, he showed up late. <laughs> in a long line to get to see him and um, someone came out the owner of that uh, of the mandrake came out and said we have some sad news it looks like Richard Pryor is not going to show up and there was a big you know moan from the crowd then oh wait a minute we got another note he is coming he is coming he will be here uh, another hour waiting finally there was a um, a break in the music saying someone start playing a guitar, uh, you know, singing, blah, blah, blah. And um, so then eventually we said, Rich is here. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and, and the room was packed. So the owner of the club pressured country Joe McDonald <laughs> into entertaining the impatient crowd. And finally, the bar owner, Mary Moore, pushed a befuddled country Joe offstage grabbed the mic and said, ladies and gentlemen, the crown prince of comedy, his highness, Richard Pryor. And that's, and that's when uh, Richard, uh, nowadays we would call that Richard Pryor 2.0. Yeah, but according to Cecil Brown, the first night was a disaster. The second night was brilliant. The first night he didn't get laughs. It was the most pathetic thing in the world, says Cecil Brown. He was really <laughs> upset about it. But that, again, it, it, we've also done the history of the comedy store and the comedy store strike. And that's what Richard Pryor would do. He would go into the comedy store, like once he got an hour down, he would strip everything down and just start from scratch. And people would say they would see him, you know, work out his new hour of material and just go full sets without getting laughs. Even though he was the famous Richard Pryor at the time. He was always, you know, kind of just trying to craft and work his material. Yeah. So uh, what, what Cecil Brown said, like the audience was comprised of uh, white youths who lined up to see Richard that night, uh, you know, kind of veterans in the B-ins, as they call it, the core of the counterculture, 
counterculture who were hip to prior because they had been lied to by the leaders of the nation, by the leaders of the local town, by the Oakland police, and by the Berkeley police. And Scott, you pointed it up first. They've been lied to by who? Should we say it? The man. The, the man, man, in quotes. Yeah, that's what the man does, man. Yeah, so how, how did this experience at, uh, uh, change, uh, you know, Pryor's kind of stage approach? Was he done pandering to the crown? He was done pandering, Harmon. He, 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 he just he, he started to, to take influences from his comic. He started drawing from his car- comic influences like Moms Mabley, Dick Gregory, Bill Cosby, Lenny Bruce. And then um, he just started uh, going crazy. He was being a freeform artist. He would kind of do kind of thought poems off the top of his head and sometimes it would work and sometimes it didn't but uh, eventually it started to work more often than not yeah and what would his friend you know cecil brown again you know english professor at berkeley uh, who you know he he teaches like the history of like african-american literature and poetry he said i heard this kind of humor all my life you know marveling at, at what he what he heard the first night or first couple nights at mandrake's but the but never in public. So it was kind of like bringing this, you know, tradition of African American literature and poetry to the mainstream. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, here, here. So while there, he also collaborated with his partner Paul Mooney. Uh, what do you know of Paul Mooney, Scott? Paul Mooney, funny, funny gentleman. Um, he was writing with Pryor for a long time, um, and he, uh, I think. He did he? They, 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 those two were writing together for a while. Um, I think and, all through uh, his career, yeah. I mean, again, yeah. he was very influential on uh, helping Richard craft his stand-up. Yeah, I think he might have. Paul Mooney might have helped write um, *Lazy Saddles*. I'll check on this while you. Ah, oh, he's a Brewster's Millions. Paul Mooney. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. we talked about it before. No, so he didn't write on. He was Richard Pryor's writing partner for a long time. Yeah, and they both uh, would record, I think they both recorded two KPFA shows. And again, as we mentioned, one focused on the Attica prison riot. I wrote something about it. I'm a comedian. I wrote a little comedy. And I like to uh, read something to you. Murder the dogs, the mad frothing at the mouth dogs with expensive capped teeth and fat bellies full of babies starving. No, don't wait until they die. Kill them now. Because if you let them live and die a natural death, you'll be bitten and left to die in agony. And the mad dog, Pack, will then sniff out and search for your children to eat. Eat whole, flesh, bones, and soul. These beasts will then retort the ones they have not eaten in their schools of unlearning. They will teach you They will teach your children to do their hunting and capture their own to bring to them to devour. And the dog, the mad dog, will end up patting you on the head and throwing you a bomb. Where murder was committed by prison guards. Again, it was very experimental, kind of like an audio collage. I heard a lady uh, on uh, TV today talking about well, I know they just did the best they could when they went in there and they killed my husband. I'm sure it was an accident. And then I don't hold any ill feelings against them. I mean, they're prisoners there and everything. I don't even know why those kind of people are there or anything like that. 
And all I got to say is that it's very understandable. I have tried. I told Phil the other day that everything was going to be okay. Now, you take, for instance, Wednesday. Got the shakes. Nose running. Joint dripping. Mind slipping. Body aches. And again, with Farley's gear and doing these KPFA radio shows, Richard, you know, once again uh, was rebuilding his relationship with the microphone and kind of his experimental comedy styles. Agreed. So again, he was 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 his was his comedy in the Bay Area just confined to Berkeley, Scott? No, 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 Harmon, Harmon, no, oh, Harmon, no, no, no. no. <laughs> he did a uh, a week long engagement over Basin Street West across the bay, as I would say, over there in San Francisco. I'm thinking that and might be probably North Beach. It sounds like okay. that yeah. might be a sounds North Beachy, yeah. Um, and he, it was a hit. The resounding endorsement he received from the critics maybe convinced him to keep hanging around and keep doing what he was doing. Uh, at the time, the San Francisco Examiner dubbed him a spokesman and a star for the young black community, as well as quote a major finger, a major as well as quote a major figure amongst contemporary hip theatrical figures of American society. While the San Francisco Chronicle called Pryor the very best satirist on the nightclub circuit. Yeah, and it, and like they said, these critics were like saying that Pryor was, you know, combining stand-up comedy with with theater. You know, is becoming per se, which you know later begot like Whoopi Goldberg doing her one-woman show. You know, kind of something that originated, say, with uh, Moms Mabley, who we've mm-hmm. also talked about on this uh, podcast, and you can find the back episode on ComedyHistory101.com. Uh, he started like developing more like stage characters, like like we said, like his classic Mudbone and and the Wino and the Junkie from his neighborhood. And in a sense, he just sort of thrived in this era of chaos in American life, which was a catalyst for the comedy that evolved from Richard Pryor and Berkeley of this era. So apparently Harmon, uh, even during all this time, Pryor maintained, it says here, Pryor maintained a, a, let me try one more time. It says here that Pryor also maintained a seemingly superhuman cocaine habit, often asking his Bay Area dealer to leave everything he had and return the next day with more. <laughs> and here's a quote from Cecil Brown. I says, we'd be up at dawn and going for two or three days, says Cecil Brown. I used to have to get away from him to get some sleep. And apparently Huey Newton and Pryor one time had a cocaine sorting contest in a hotel. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Cecil Brown on this radio show said uh, he he witnessed that cocaine snorting oh. contest in in the hotel, oh, wow. and I believe who it, won? Well, Huey Newton, according to Cecil Brown, <laughs> was known for his uh, cocaine snorting com- proclivities. We'll put it that okay. Way. <laughs> so, so, but does, does Harmon? The, the the bigger question is: Does anybody does anybody win a cor- cocaine snorting contest? Yeah, the the, the cocaine dealer. Oh, ah, there you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like an epitaph for that was uh, in nineteen. 
84, Huey Newton acknowledged he was drinking two quarts of cognac a day, yeah, abusing cocaine, this. heroin, and Valium, and he attended a drug abuse program paid for by Richard Pryor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, to wrap up Richard Pryor and his connection with the the, the Black Panthers on... On his album, Richard Pryor Live in Concert, 1979 stand-up comedy special, Richard requests the house lights to be turned up and points out and introduces Huey Newton, who was in the crown. So they stayed, you know, obviously they stayed friends. They're buddies. Richard Pryor paid for him to go to treatments. That was nice. So, Scott... How did Richard Pryor, when he left Berkeley, what, what, how did he leave his mark on comedy culture and most particularly black artists and intellectuals who helped him remake, you know, the culture around him? Pryor was one of the first performers who said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be telling the story and you're going to look at the world through my eyes. And he came out with a whole new act centering on the African-American experience, such as like, poli- you know, material about getting beaten up by the police. You know, he's more he's more vulnerable. Yeah, so as he said in his autobiography, if I was going to find my lost soul, I needed to cast off everything but the essentials. I had to renounce the past in order to see my future. It was the freest time of my life. Yeah, man, it was it was, it was a big deal. His new brand of comedy was was incendiary, as they would say. And he did use he did use the N-word a lot, which we will not say the n-word here um which he would later drop uh from his act in 1979 after he took a trip to africa but the way he was using it just shocked audiences it was Pryor's newfound honesty his physicality his kinetic stage presence and willingness to tackle topics like racism and sexuality that caught on with the new audiences yeah and what cecil brown said you know in regard to uh the n-word being dropped was it was the first time that audience heard it in a non-racist context yeah, I mean, he was like also he was just like he mined his own upbringing for his comedy. You know, he grew up in a uh, let's say a house of ill, uh, well, a house of ill repute, Harmon. I'll I'll go with that in Peoria, Illinois. And he started uh, creating characters and routines based on the black entertainers, performers, con artists, criminals, junkies, and other low lives. That's not my word. I'm just saying low lives that he encountered during his youth. You know, just. He's talking about the people that that people don't normally talk about. You know, the kind of the down down and out. Winos deal with it, though, right? Winos never get afraid of nothing but running out of wine. That's the only thing that panic a wino. Wino could deal with Dracula. Right, anybody. Hey, man! Say with the cake! What you doing picking in them people's window? What's your name, boy? Dracula? What kind of name is that for? Where you from, fool? Transylvania. I know where it is. You ain't the smartest mother world, you know. Even though you is the ugliest. Oh yeah, you ugly mother. Why don't you get your teeth fixed? Yeah. So when 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 Pryor reemerged after nearly a year in Berkeley, um, I'm not sure who credited to this quote. It said Richard Pryor took on a whole new persona. 
his own. Richard killed the Bill Cosby in his act, made people hate it. (laughs) Then he worked on them doing pure prior, and it was the most astonishing metamorphosis I have ever seen. He was magnificent. I don't think there's anything wrong with killing the Bill Cosby in in your act. (laughs) I think everybody's going to agree on that. Here, here, Scott. Here, here. So after Berkeley, uh, he went back to Los Angeles, and what what was what was uh, Richard Pryor like in Los Angeles before he went to Berkeley? What was his TV appearances like? Well, he did um, earlier. We're talking about '66. He did an appearance on um, Wild Wild West uh, that I know for sure. And then, um, as I mentioned, he was in those the Wild on the Street. He was also in this other movie that I kind of dug up. Let me hold on. Let me find it. Um, called where is it? Hold on. Did I, did I put it in here? Hold on. Let me. You have to stop it. This, this is pretty good. Um, yeah, he was in this other movie from like 1971 called uh, You've Got to Walk It. Hold on one more time. It's called You've Got to Walk It Like You Talk It or You'll Lose That Beat, where he plays he plays a wino. I couldn't find a clip of that, so I'm wondering if he's kind of doing his wino character in there. But apparently the movie um, was kind of like one of those 70s indie films, but with music by Donald Fagan from Steely Dan. Oh, that's interesting, who later yeah, played yeah. with Chevy Chase, who we that's talked right. about. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but I think the most uncanny pop culture matchup was in 1971, uh, right before he went to Berkeley, he and Lou Gossett Jr., who we've talked about on this episode because Lou Gossett Jr. starred in the Blazing Saddles TV pilot. <laughs> um, Richard Pryor guest starred on the episode of The Partridge Family. Are you folks lost? We're the Partridge Family. You were expecting us. I was. You weren't? No. Well, you see, the thing is, I'm not sure you're the right kind of group for our club. You mean because we're white? No, wow, no. I mean, our people like soul music, right? And I just don't know if they'll turn out. Listen, I have an idea for a song. It's sort of an Afro thing. Hey, man, what do we got to lose anyway, right? Even if it fails, we have the biggest party the town's ever seen, and we'll just go on down in flames. Yeah, okay, this is weird. So I literally just found this. Okay, so there's another Richard Pryor film called Uncle Tom's Fairy Tales from... Apparently, it came out from 1969, so this is before he moved as well. Um, but so here's the, here's the summary: it's, what it's, while it's unclear what the film was about, it's believed that it followed a blue, group of Black Panthers who kidnap a wealthy white man and put him on trial for all the racial crimes in American history. And it was directed by Penelope Shearis, Sh- you know who, who we know, Fierce, who know who know for, did all the uh, Decline of Western Civilization films. Also, oh, well, so it must have been like a student film. Well, I don't know if it was a student film or like some kind of indie film or like one of those those yeah. um, films you make when you have a lot of money. But then it says apparently uh, uh, Richard's Richard's wife uh, Shelley Bonis Bonice uh, shredded all the negatives. Oh <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I yeah. saw that in a in a Richard Pryor uh, documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but apparently it was enough to make it like a real, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. But that, okay, that was another one of the films that he worked on at that time. But have you seen the Partridge Family episode entitled oh, The Soul Club? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great because actually there's a little black, there's kind of a Black Panthers reference in there as well. Yeah, so there's many tie-ins to Richard Pryor and the Black Panthers because of that yeah. movie you just mentioned 
and the Soul Club and his friendship with uh, Huey Newton. But most particularly, Berkeley changed Richard Pryor. And I guess, like, lastly, we'll just uh, it brought him to working the L.A. clubs with, you know, with this new style of comedy, at which time he produced his second album, 1971, called what, Scott? Craps, Craps. After Hours. <laughs> yeah, to be high. I guess if you're high, you dig all that. You do a lot of weird <laughs> shit. I used to smoke a lot. I had a lot of fun smoking. I started getting paranoid. I had to quit. <laughs> started snorting cocaine. <laughs> I had to quit that too, because I wake up in the middle of the night and say to my wife, You fucking the paper boy? <laughs> yeah, which we, we, again, we've talked about on the history of XXX Party Records, and it was the first hint of the foul mouth genius within, because on the first five minutes of the album, Pryor covers toking weed, sniffing cocaine, and fighting with his wife. Ugh. Ah, the classics. Yeah. So, again, that, that album was recorded at Red Fox's Club, a.k.a. Fox's Place on La Siena Boulevard. And the rest is Richard Pryor history. So, Scott, what, what is your takeaway of Richard Pryor's era in, in, in Berkeley, California? When you go underground, you get radical, Harmon. Fight the man. Or Berkeley is considered going underground. If you move yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if we're, when you get an apartment for $110 or so, you can get an apartment for $700 today. Yeah. Yeah. But not, not so much in, in 2020. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So that wraps up our history of Richard Pryor and his stint in Berkeley, hanging around with the intellectuals of the time, the counterculture and the Black Panthers. And with that, it's time to... Plug away! Scott, what do you have to plug? Well, Harmon, as our listeners probably know from me plugging this all the time, uh, I have another podcast and a YouTube channel called This is a President, where I go into all things presidential. Uh, we just put up an episode, Harmon, about Gerald Ford and the swine flu. We also have a podcast with that, and Har- Harmon sometimes is my guest on that as well. And you can find that wherever you find your favorite podcasts, such as Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and Last FM, as well as Spotify as well. So uh, that's it. Yeah, this is the president. Go by, stop by, subscribe, drop us a line, comment. Thank you. Here, here. And for me, on Tuesday, December 24th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, I have my show, Tale, NYC's best storytelling. And not only that, it's our eighth anniversary show. Yes, over the years, we've had the likes of Roy Wood Jr., Jenna Friedman, Taylor Negron, and hundreds and hundreds of other amazing storytellers on the bill. And this Tuesday is our eighth anniversary. Check us out on twitch.tv slash comedyhistory101. And as always, take some time to like, subscribe, and comment on Comedy History 101, wherever you get your podcasts, be it Stitcher or Spotify or Apple or whatnot, or on our site, ComedyHistory101.com. Also, 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 friends, if you like or even love Comedy History 101, 
Become one of our supporters. Yes, we try to make this podcast ad-free, but we need your support. So please support us on patreon.com slash ch101 for the cost of a cup of coffee. If we get all our 100,000 listeners just to donate a dollar a month, we will keep our podcast ad free because scott the thing, do, do the people want to hear about stamps.com in the middle of their no podcast? they don't Harmon. and they don't want to hear about beds or casper mattresses and the thing is Harmon, they could give more than a dollar if they wanted to they don't have to they could give us a dollar but if they wanted to give five or ten dollars even a month it just comes out automatically of your account it's just like it's like paying us and you get all sorts of uh, incredible extras Yet yeah. to be determined. So just to tease that, we have an upcoming extra on a political podcast, uh, uh, which is a spinoff of the podcast, This is the President, and that will be a feature upcoming for subscribers only. Only. And with that, thanks a lot for tuning in, and we'll see you next time, and bye-bye. You're stupid. Bye-bye. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.